Blog Talk Radio. Services and the men and women of police and fire services. 
Tonight's program is dedicated to those uh, men and women uh, in the armed forces, and especially to the, those the, of the, the gold mothers who um, have lost a, a loved one, uh, either a husband, a son, uh, or whatever. Um, Memorial Day is specifically for those in the armed forces, for those who a lot have served, some have served, uh, but uh, all have served some, some have served given all. Uh, we appreciate everything. Freedom is not free. And um, please, Bob, uh, pass that on to uh, the lovely doctor because uh, we know she does her job to keep us free too. Um, tonight's going to be a great night. We've got uh, the full staff tonight. Um, we're going to call Dr. Chris in a few minutes. Uh, he has he has a guest at the present time, but uh, we're going to call him back and get him on here. But how you doing, Ty? You're doing quite well. How's everyone else doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Zito, good, Bob. Good, good. Glad to be here. Uh, everybody's here. Good to hear. So, uh, yeah, well, we have a uh, – there was some news come out this week that uh, kind of was confusing. Uh, Danny Garcia uh, confirmed that he is going to fight in September. But he didn't say who he's fighting. Uh, he wants Pacquiao or Spence. Uh, Ty, what do you think? Well, I did hear that speculation, and then Spence had an interview uh, a little later in the week where he spoke of having a pay-per-view fight in the fall, and Danny Garcia was also mentioned. Um, I think it'd be kind of curious to see if uh, Spence's first fight back from that horrific accident would be somebody of Danny Garcia's caliber, or would he take a tune-up fight? Uh, Obviously, with the uh, advent of COVID-19, you know, he, he's had more time to recover than he usually might sort of been afforded because obviously the pressure would be on to make a fight. So he's had some time to recover. So he may feel confident because of the time he's had off to go into a fight with Danny Garcia. Personally, I like to see him take a tune-up fight. Um, but nonetheless, we, we won't know the reality until things get moving again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Z, what's your thoughts? Um. I think that it, it would, uh, first of all, it, it would be good to see either one get in the ring, especially Errol Spence after after uh, this fight, after uh, his accident. Um, right now, though, Spence is on top. In my opinion, Spence right now is on top. And Danny, he has a little work to do, to, I mean, to, to, to get a shot at Spence. Um Danny also, he, he is one of the top welterweights. But right now, Danny has a loss to Keith Thurman and Sean Porter. And Errol Spence just beat Sean Porter. Uh, so right now, to me, in my opinion, it seems that, may, I mean, Danny, he might he, he might deserve the shot, but I don't think he's the most deserving of the shot at Spence. <clears throat> Well, we got another one. Uh, I, I want to save one of these for uh, for Chris, but, uh, or actually, actually for our, our special guest tonight. Uh, but Vasily uh, Lomachenko and um, Lopez um, seem to believe they're going in September. Uh, what's your thoughts, Ty, uh, Z? Um, very possible to happen, but. I would like to see that fight. I, I would like to see it because 
if I don't, if you don't, I mean, fights nowadays, if you don't see them now, in my opinion, then it, it, you might not see them at all. Um, Teofim was a young guy. He, he's a young guy, and he, he's, he's an exciting guy to watch. He's a knockout guy. Um, but I don't know if he's ready for Lomachenko right now. I don't know. I would like, I mean, I would like to see him fight a little bit better cop than me. I, I would like to see him move up and fight a little bit more of the, of the top guy before he goes and sees Lomachenko. But in, in, in this game, you're going to have, you know, when you get your shot, you're going to have to take it, unfortunately. Sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, whether he whether he whether he wants Lomachenko or not, or whether he's ready for Lomachenko or not, that's the fight that's going to happen next for him and for Lomachenko. That fight would have happened, I believe, it was supposed to happen in March, uh, but obviously, with you know the situation in the world, that was postponed. But it was automatically stated that hey, as soon as we get up and rolling, this is the fight that's going to happen. That fight was signed, sealed, and ready to be delivered. Um, it was Richard Comey, who was the number one rated contender at the at that at that weight, fought Teofomo Lopez. Teofomo Lopez blasted him out in two rounds, so it mandated his shot against Lomachenko. Um, so it really is just a matter of when Aram and those guys feel comfortable. They've already both have spoken in interviews about fighting uh, in, in front of an empty arena. Teofomo Fimo Lopez says you know he'd rather not do it, but. He's going to knock Lomachenko out regardless. Whether he does or not, that's, that remains to be seen. But once they get started moving, and if Bob Arum's targeting September, you can expect that to be one of the first fights you see because that was supposed to be one of the fights we would have seen if uh, Corona had taken over. Aram is talking about taking that fight uh, overseas um, to get that and, and to get uh, – the uh, Canelo and uh, Saunders fight in September also um, into a larger arena. Uh, now, my my question is if if we're still under the under the uh, COVID uh, standards and there's nobody going to be allowed into the ring, why would you take him out of the country? Yeah, it wouldn't matter what size the arena. The only thing I can assume is taking them to a place that. Uh, that just may have COVID a little bit better under control. As, as we may or may not want to admit, America's been behind the curve on the response to this. And there's some countries abroad that have done significantly better at, at kind of locking us down. So they may see uh, opportunity in just being a little safer if they take it uh, you know, abroad. That's initially what Dana White was thinking, that, hey, we can get out of the States and go someplace where they've kind of already started to deal with this. Um, before he chose Florida, which you know, Florida does whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it would surprise me. Anyway. I think it's, it's, yeah, right. I think it's all about. <laughs> I, I think at this point, it's all about safety. The revenue is not going to come in the live gate. The revenue, as we talked about, comes through television, pay per view, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think at this point, it's just about making sure the fighters and those in attendance could be as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, Bob. It's uh, it's time you you've rested long enough here now. Uh, we have uh, have a bunch of fights that uh, that uh, you were uh, you were going to bring up tonight. So uh, let's let's go ahead with you. All right. Start where um, we were. So our last couple of fights again. I, you know, I, I got to give uh, credit to Dana White for putting together some really exciting uh, fights. A lot of bangers. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone that tuned in really really enjoyed that. Um, 
one of the fights that we had last week uh, was Courtney Casey versus uh, uh, Mauro Romero Bolero. Um Now, Courtney Casey, uh, I think she weighed at 115 and, and Bolero was 125. But again, he's matching this stuff up to be exciting. And Casey, you know, she's a tough girl. And uh, she got that first round arm bar and almost uh, snapped that girl's stuff. I don't know if anybody watched that, but, you know, uh-huh. um, if you ever have any questions, um, about how bad that stuff, you know, hurt, you know, a lot of people, you know, in the boxing world, you know, they understand a broken nose or a knockout, but when you slap, you know, a submission on somebody's arm and you're bending a joint the way it's not supposed to go and that thing can snap, it's, it's pretty painful. So that was a cool fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, um, Dana's got, I think, uh, the next one scheduled for next, uh, Saturday on the 30th. Uh, but we yes, had some other good fights that night. Um, there was uh, the the uh, 39 second uh, knockout by Kevin Holland, um, completely demolished Anthony Hernandez. Um, no. I, I think he came out with some perfect Muay Thai. I mean, if if you slow it down and watch that fight, all 39 seconds, he comes out and throws a vicious right elbow, and then lands that knee right in the solar plexus, and then I think the knee is what dropped it. And then, uh, oh. and then he just did some ground and pound, you know, threw some punches, and they were uncontested, so they stopped it real quick. Thirty-nine seconds, uh, phenomenal for mm-hmm. Ty. Um, Ty, what do you think about that one? You see that one? You're a Ty. Yeah, right? I did, and, and, and I, I thought it was a great usage of the art of eight limbs because that's what he used to yeah. put him away. And you were right; Dude, I thought it was, it was the knee that really hurt him. Yeah, it was beautiful. Oh, it was, yeah. it was right. violent, perfect, perfect, efficiently violent, efficiently violent. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, again, again, being a Muay Thai guy, again, Muay Thai is like Thai said, the art of eight limbs. You know, bringing in those elbows and knees, it just changes things. But again, you know, working on these classes, I mean, you know, trying to understand people, you get, you got to get in there, just like a hook or an uppercut. You know, you don't want to throw it too far out. You got to be in tight. But yeah. uh, um, you know, unless somebody's shooting at you, but that was a phenomenal fight too. Um, headliner uh, on that fight was the Matt Brown. Uh, or wait, I think they were headliner, but uh, Miguel uh, Baeza, and um, that one was amazing. Um, it was around you know 18 seconds in round two. It was a nice left again, very exciting fight. They both went out there and just blew a bunch of punches, smacking each other around. Um, Baeza had you know he landed more, but that took him from eight no to nine and no undefeated record. Um, so he's looked really good. You know, and then next week we've got Pine Road and Woodley versus uh, Gilbert Burns, excuse me. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm not looking forward to that one. That card. Yeah, I, uh, so that'll be good. You know, I, I looked at some of the undercards and stuff. I, I don't know if it'll be – I don't know all those guys, so I can't say it'll be as exciting as, as the last three fights, but I, I'm still looking forward to it. Yeah, Dana put – I mean, literally in a, in a span of eight days, you had three exciting cards. You know, and, and oh my god, I can't complain about that. The uh, Wednesday night fight card was awesome, I loved it. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and I said before when we talked before that I thought USC would be the blueprint for other sports being able to move forward. And so far, so good. So far, so good. They had Zachary Sosa who had the, the one incident, he had coronavirus obviously in his corner. But thus far, we've had we've had three cards. We've had like eight fights on each card. That's the only incident we're, we're discussing, and that was the very first card. So, 
again, I think because you know, it's funny because I heard Bob Arum speak so negatively about Dana White and his, you know, uh, by any means necessary to get these cards up and running. But the moment uh, right. the UFC done that, then Bob Arum came back and said, well, yeah, you know, we're targeting <laughs> September and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, that's kind of hypocritical. You, you could say that now because of the sacrifice, you know, the chance the UFC took. So it, it was very clever, I thought. Yeah. I, I always got people jumping on other people's coattails. You know, they don't want to be the first one out there. But, uh, you know, if something goes over, like, oh, I need to be a part of that. We'll, we'll, we'll. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're a you're a a big Muay Thai guy. What's your thoughts? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not I'm not the Muay Thai guy. I'll be the first to admit. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I've trained guys in Muay Thai in in hand in in a Muay Thai camp before. Uh, I've been needing elbows before, but never in a fight or anything dealing with Muay Thai. Yeah, whatever Z, whatever Z and I try to spar, I try to I'll I'll I'll, I'll threaten to kick him. I will threaten a roundhouse <laughs> kick his knee as soon as he plants forward every time. Yeah, I don't do that. At this point, Z is a better he's a better boxer than me at this point, right? So when he gets a little too close, I'm going to if he if he changes the level, a knee automatically comes up. So <laughs> that's his familiarity. Try to avoid that in the, in the boxing match. <laughs> so, I don't do that. I don't do that. And I and I got to I six three minute rounds and I was I was done. I was done. But again, anytime you just like you're right, anytime one of those good boxers gets a shot on me, I just put my shin right next to their IT band. <laughs> just let you yep. know that's there. Yep. You do that again. <laughs> a, a boxer has to plant. A boxer absolutely has to plant to attack. And when they plant, that's when they are vulnerable. That's when you can tear that, tear that leg up. <laughs> a guy I was also hey, impressed with, and a guy who's, who's one of my favorite fighters uh, in the UFC, Alistair Overeem. Um, oh, I, I know he's had the, the whole steroid controversy, right? The horse meat controversy, I should say. Um, but I've always loved the guy because of his perseverance. He's like a cornerback, man, because this is a guy who's been knocked out a record amount of times. And he always comes back as if he's never been knocked out, um, except for the way he fights. He's obviously more protective of his chin. And um, to see him fight Walt Harris, and Walt Harris is a big, explosive guy, um, but to see Overeem do something I don't see him do, which is survive an ass-whipping mm. and, and fight through adversity. And the moment he did that, I was like, well, shit, if, he, if he's not going to get stopped, then he's going to win. Offensively, I think Overeem is probably the best offensive heavyweight I've ever seen. I mean, this is a guy who can wrestle. He's one of the best strikers, and he's, he's got submissions. I mean, he is a phenomenal fighter. He is the one guy who I thought, and Z, and Z and I talk about this all the time, if this guy could take a shot, who could beat him? Because most of the, just about all his losses, he was winning the fight before he got caught. He just can't take a shot. But uh, it was it was good to see him at 40, you know, literally a couple hours before his 40th birthday, go out and get a big win over uh, a, a younger, bigger guy. Mm-hmm. It makes me hurt uh, as you say that number. Z, <laughs> 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 did you see how Overeem threw that guy the hell out of the way like he was a rag doll? At the and end there, he, he pushed. He's pretty strong, too. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. He did. It really was a little sweep what he did to him. Is, is when, yeah, when uh, Walt Harris stepped in, Overeem, he, he moved his arms to the opposite side, and it was just, he just turned. He literally just created a lever out of Walt Harris. It just kind of swept the leg. Knocked him right on his ass. Threw him right yeah, out of the yeah, way. Beautiful. I thought that beautiful was a key move in the fight. Key move in the fight. Everything. It was. Yep. That changed everything. Yeah. Beautiful move. That changed beautiful the fight. Move. It was. He got up and hammered the hell out of him after that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good move. I, I never saw him do that. Matter of fact, that's the first time I saw him really stay there, persevere, and, and stay in there and not, you know, not run for cover, man. He stayed in there and gave that guy. And that guy was big. That guy yeah, was a big fighter. It was the first time he saw him do it because it was the first time he did it. <laughs> I love him, really, but he's never done, he's never done yeah. that. So that was that was wild to see. Well, and the thing he is, he that guy right out it. of the way. He was able to do it when he cleared his head. He had to clear yeah. his head first. And, and and that's one thing that you have to give Overeem credit for in this fight. I mean, he, we, I mean, I've seen him go out from lesser, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I've seen him go yeah. out from lesser. So, I mean, and what, the thing about Overeem, he is one of the most, well, he, to me, in the tie, he is one of the best offensive fighters. Um, he, he, he has a little bit of Anthony Joshua syndrome to me. I think I talked about this before, to where his two weaknesses are, are sort of like Joshua. He Overeem doesn't have the best cardio. Yeah, he, he, but I mean, he has. He, he's a heavy guy. Period. He's a heavy. Well, I mean, yeah. not his cardio has gotten better since he's since he's lost the horse meat muscle. So. Yeah, but still, I mean, by round two, I mean Overeem. I mean, especially if there's a contact fight where he's not getting the pace himself, Overeem stuck the game a little bit. Um. Outside of that, though, I mean, it's it's hard to. I mean, I, 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 I mean, he would be he would be reigning champion for years if the guy had a punch. And he's got some of the best. We talked about knees. Man, that guy's got some of the best knees in the game. Vicious, vicious knees. Vicious knees. You took that lesson on the track with those kids. <laughs> I really wish I could train. Let me let me ask. You, all right, let me start with uh, Chris on this one. Uh, Jorge Linares is, uh, says he wants to uh, take on uh, Ryan Garcia. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that one? Ryan Garcia. Yes. Uh, damn, you got me now. Ryan Garcia. Anybody recognize that that guy's name? Yeah, Ryan Garcia. He's like the twenty-one-year-old kid that uh, yeah. that uh, Golden Boy's bringing up. He he trains out of the same gym with Canelo and those guys. Oh, the good. He's a super yeah. fighter. That guy's yeah, a tough. They, 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 they look at him. Oh, they look at him that, as a really a, super prospect. That's his yeah. Oh man, yeah. oh, man. I I think he's bru- he's brutal. He's a, I think he's one. I don't know how he can miss. That guy's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he uh, mm-hmm. he he's he's what, what weight is he now? He's not going he's not going to stay at lightweight long. He's too damn big. Yeah, because he's tall. Yeah, he's, he's going to move yeah, up to one forty. Yeah, yeah, he is that lightweight. But he's ready. Now, but yeah. yeah, 
He's ready to go to 140. He could win at 140. That would be that's the way he's going to settle it. Because his bone structure is big, his frame is big. Yeah, he's big. You know, I uh, he tried to uh, he get low twenty one or twenty two, so he can he can make the weight. Yeah, but he's a young big, kid. He's a young, yeah. young kid. Fumo Lopez and, and Devin Haney, all those guys, young guys at one thirty five are going to settle in at one forty, one forty seven eventually. They're big. Yeah, yeah, they. You can't stay at one thirty five long, and not not with a frame like that. No. But uh, no, I think the world of that guy. I think he's he's got gigantic uh, uh, potential, uh, and he's not a friend. I mean, he gets in there, he wants to mix it up. He he gets the hell in there, boy. He took on a he took on a tough opponent real early in his career. I thought that could could break him, but he he knocked him right the hell out. So I, I mean, I think that guy's got is sensational. What, what's his first name now? Ryan. Ryan. Okay, okay, I got. It. I won't forget that. Yeah. But no, I I think he's sensational. For, who's he supposed to fight now? Jorge Linares. The guy, Linares. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Jorge. I think he's in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a classic fight. You have an old lion against a young lion coming up. Um, Jorge Linares, we know, started his career at featherweight at 126. Um, Ryan Garcia is starting his career at 135. He's a naturally bigger guy. Uh, he would have never seen anything like Jorge Linares be absolutely the best fighter that Garcia's ever faced. And if he, when the fight was first kind of bandied about, and I remember Butch mentioned going here, and I was like, you know, I don't know if Garcia's ready for that. But literally in his last two fights, he, he's really looked phenomenal today. And, um, I mean, you know, Jorge still could be a bridge too far, but, you know, I kind of got to go with Dr. Chris. Um, Jorge cuts up pretty easily, and, and, you know, he's been a little brittle. And, uh, you know, this Ryan Garcia has, has really been looking great these last two or three fights, and I, I think he, he uh, has the potential to beat Jorge to the punch all night. Now, Jorge could teach him some things. And, you know, one thing we know about a great vet is you always got that one great performance in you. Um, and so I think Jorge would need that to, to be Ryan Garcia at this stage. Ryan Garcia is coming, and Jorge, Gar- Jorge Linares, I'd be a, a scout that he's capable of taking at this point. Uh, has that fight been made, Frank? Has uh, that yeah. been made? Yes, it has. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. And, oh, yeah, you know what? They were, they were, after they both won their last fight, they were looking to sign that fight again pre-corona. And so that that should be potentially one of the fights that we get coming right out of this too, potentially. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, we're uh, we're joined by a good friend of ours and a, and a, uh, a ter- terrific uh, person, um, Bernard Hopkins. I'm sorry, Bernard Hopkins. Sorry about that. <laughs> He's a good guy Bernard too. Bernard Fernandez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the one guy been, who knows slightly more about boxing than Bernard Fernandez. So. <laughs> I was just telling him about, you know, I read, he's got a new book out, and uh, I read a bunch of it, and, and some of the stuff in there is about uh, B-Hop, and uh, <laughs> that's the first thing that came to my mind. But for, for our listeners, uh, Bernard has been a, a, a sports writer for 43 years. He spent 28 years with the, Daily, the Philadelphia Daily News. He's the son of a uh, captain from uh, a police captain, very well-decorated police captain from uh, New Orleans. 
Uh, he uh, was born and raised in New Orleans. Uh, his his uh, book is called uh, Championship Rounds. It is available um, uh, on Amazon, which I picked it up, uh, at Walmart.com uh, and Barnes and Nobles. Um, one of the one of the things I was really impressed with was uh, his forward, and, and uh, the forward was done by a, a friend of his, uh, George Foreman, um, and uh, he uh, he did say, he, he said uh, writers come and go, but special uh, but special ones like Bernard uh, stand out uh, that withstand the, t- the, st- the test of time. So. But all right, I'm going to let uh, let you lead in with that, and uh, then we have I have some questions about it. But uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Well, thank you. <clears throat> when I called George and um, and asked him if he would be uh, uh, open to doing the forward to the book, um, I told him I said, George, you owe me. I, I bought two of your grills, and uh, he said, Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I, I, I guess I guess the debt is settled now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Bernard, in this in the book, you talk about uh, traveling. You've traveled the world, uh, covering fights. Um, uh, you had a, a excruciating twenty uh, four hour flight to uh, Tokyo uh, for a couple big fights. And can you just give us a? a, a a brief synopsis of of the the book. Yeah, it's uh, it's an anthology, um, which which means it's all previously published material, but um, it, it's like longer pieces that I did, magazine length, um, in the newspaper business called take out one stories, um, essay essay type stories. And it's divided, I believe, into like six sections, um, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know it covers it covers a lot of years. And, and you mentioned the thing about uh, Tokyo. Um, I, I think one of the things that 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 stands out over the course of my um, career as as a boxing writer was I was one of the few American writers who actually was in Tokyo for Tyson Douglas. Um, the thing was, was, was I was there for eight days, which was great. But the first couple of days were tough because, um, from the time that I left my home in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, to the time I, I got, you know, to the hotel in Tokyo, it was was 24 hours across 14 time zones, and then immediately the next day there were like press conferences that that I had to go to. And uh, the, the problem is, is that when you crossed 14 time zones. Your body doesn't know what time it is, and and uh, you know the first day or two, like at four o'clock in the morning, I was wide awake and prowling around the hotel lobby. And then when I was supposed to be going to the press conferences, I, was, I had to kind of stick myself with a pen or something, you know, to, to stay awake. And then finally, when I got adjusted, you know, to the time, by the time I came back home, I slept for 22 hours. And when I when I when I woke up. It was like gray outside, and I couldn't. I didn't know if it was right before dawn, or you know, or. Um, so I asked my wife. I said, "What is this? Is it is it like um, early morning or, or late? You know, whatever, whatever it is." And she said, "Now you slept 22 hours." So. Wow. You know, so I, I pass this along. Anybody's planning to go to Japan, you know, when you come back, you know, you're going to be. 
<laughs> you may be zonk. Yeah. You talk about the about the, the uh, Ali uh, Fraser fights that uh, that you you went in the book, and uh, you talk about the great Jake Lamada. And uh, I, I thought it was funny that uh, you had, had uh, got him in his prime, and then you got him at the age of what was it, ninety four? Uh, it was ninety four. I had gone along, you know, but um, and the thing is, is that Jake, you know, Jake was the Bronx Bull. And whenever he would show up, like in in Canastota, you know, because he was a regular presence, uh, like almost every year, at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, but he he wore like a cowboy hat, like a Stetson, you know, like out of Roy Rogers or something, you know. And um, I, I think back in the day, you know, when he was wearing fedoras and stuff like back in the 1940s, uh, it would have been hard to imagine him, you know, like with a Roy Rogers Stetson, you know, but. <laughs> that's that's who he was later, you know. And every time mm-hmm. I saw him, it was like I thought he just sort of like rode up and hitched up his horse, you know, and then went on the stage. You know, but... <laughs> we know uh, one of our uh, one of our hosts here had a personal up up front face to face with George. Uh, Chris, you want to tell him about that one? Where, where the, with Lamada? Yeah, you talking about Lamada? Yeah, yeah. When, when I was down at the, oh, he, he's yeah, a, he was he was he about when you almost oh yeah he was emceeing he was emceeing the uh, the uh, fight between uh, Hagler and uh, uh, Duran I think it was and uh, and he was sounding off I had 150 fights I fought the toughest guys on the face of this earth he said. He said, and I never made a, I never made that much money in all of my fights together, you know. And he's bitching, and 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 he's, I fought heavyweights, I did this, so I went down at at the intermission, and I said, Jake, I said Hagler would have given you all you wanted. Why? What are you? What are you kidding me? I, yeah, I know you fought, you fought Satterfield, and you fought all them guys, but Hagler had your, would have had your number. So I'll come out of this booth and kick your ass. I said, well, come on out. <laughs> he was going to do it. He was going to do it. He's not come out of here. You're lucky they're paying me. You're lucky they're paying me to stay here. You know, you know what's an interesting stat about Jake is that, you know, um, when I when I called him, when I called call the number, his, his – uh, I believe it was the sixth wife, um, which which is a pretty pretty good record, you know, um, uh, in the marital uh, craps game, you know. But um, yeah, those sixth are Liz wife, Taylor numbers there. Yeah, but she she was like like thirty 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 years younger than him, thirty something years younger than him, and I, I I had seen pictures of her, you know, and and so I think in the in the uh, the story that I did, I said, you know, his sixth wife and whatever I can't remember what her name is offhand. I said. Who was still calmly enough uh, to serve as the centerfold in AARP magazine? You know. Um, wow. You also note. Yeah, Jake's work. Yeah, Jake's. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I met his wife down at the uh, downtown AC. Uh, when they were uh, right before the Heisman Trophy, 
they had the college boxers there, and I met uh, Vicky Lamada. She was a beautiful woman. She was 55 years old. I told my son, I said, there's a chorus girl running around down here about 30 years old. What do you see her? She's a knockout. And we're all talking, and Basilio's there, and Don Dumphy, the old famous uh, uh, Friday Night Fight yep. guy. And uh, anyway, okay. Carmen says, hurry up, take the picture. He says, I got to go. And, and he, he's in a hurry, and he rush, starts running. Well, where the hell does he run? He runs, he grabs this good-looking blonde that came through the door. And I said, there she is there. And, and and he brings her over, and he said, this is Vicky LaMotta. And right after that, she did pose as a centerfold uh, for one of the major magazines at 55. She looked good, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I think, actually, she did yeah. did a spread for uh, for Playboy, you know, Playboy. which was... Uh, Playboy, yeah, pretty, Playboy at 55. Pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think you also did... Yeah, she held her age very well. Too. You also paid homage to another good friend of uh, Chris's, Tex Cobb. Yeah, <laughs> the, two, the, the, the two punch takers. They, yeah. were, they, they, they were both. <laughs> Tex, Tex, my son, you know, it's funny you said that. Last night, my my grandson comes down. He said, Pop, Pop, Pop. He said, I just watched Tex Cobb fight Larry Holmes. He got the living hell beat out of him. I said, it's not on. He goes... Hey, you go to YouTube. I said, what in the hell is YouTube? He says, you can watch any fight. I said, you're kidding me. I said, put Graziano on. David, if he didn't get Graziano on. I was like a little kid. I watched Graziano. I watched Basilio. I watched I watched LaMotta knock the hell out of Sir Dan. I said, I'm in my glory here with YouTube. I, I said, no wonder there's no greatest fights in the center anymore. All you do is plug it into YouTube. A tremendous, you tremendous, and you can, you can get three three rounds. You can get the whole fight, whatever you want. And and uh, J- Jake set, did a sit down interview with Graziano after the uh, after the, the uh, Graziano did his show with that woman. And uh, uh, Jake really, it really, it showed the the beatings he took showed in his face. Man, he got he got hammered. Oh man. It, as a young man, he was a pretty—he was a decent-looking guy as a young man, but he got his face really got hammered around, but good. And then he showed his—the only time he ever got knocked down was a guy, a guy named Nick Barone, who was a a small heavyweight, and Jake took the fight. The guy was around 184 pounds, a huge muscle, muscular arm, and he did knock Jake. He caught him off balance and knocked him down for the count of one. And Jake jumped right back up. And they showed that last night. He'd only been off his feet one time in his life. And uh, they showed all his Robinson fights. But that YouTube is unbelievable. I, I really, I, I, t- I told my son, we're going to be staying up late watching these damn things. They, they had Marciano on there, Willie Pep. They got all them fights. Christ, what a pleasure. You know? But Jake, when, when Jake did the interview, he, he had just done a year... He had done a year in prison in Florida, uh, and he got out, and he had a bar down there, and he served a, oh. a, you know, girls come in all dressed up. He didn't know how old she was. She was only 15, yeah, and she right. she got served, and they gave him a year in jail, and uh, right. that was kind of the low point of his career. And then he got out. Yeah. He did fine thereafter, you know? Mm-hmm. 
But he, he was a he South Philly Bernard. boy. He went to – yep. go ahead. I was saying, you, may, you okay. mentioned uh, Tex Cobb. You know, tech, you know anybody who's who's been around Tex and, 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 and talked to him at any, at any length, um, he's a funny guy, which is why he was able to, to get so many movie and TV roles. You know, we usually either played the villain or, or comic foil. But um, – he lost every second of every round for 15 rounds against Larry Holmes. And Larry couldn't believe he was still standing at the end. And uh, so, you know, when, when, when the bell rang and, you know, Larry and, and, and Tex got together, uh, Larry said, well, that was fun. I mean, excuse me, uh, Tex said, that was fun. Let's do it again, but in a phone booth. And um, that was, you know. But the other thing that I thought was really funny was, you know, when talking about the, the, the fight with Larry Holmes, he said, you know, he said, if, if it had gone one more round, I would have got him because I had done a pretty good job of beating up his hands with my face, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you got to love that because if you're, you know, if you're a writer, you love guys that give you, they give good quote, you know. And 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 he was he was terrific, you know. And then you, you, also, you, know, and you read the stuff about 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 his uh, history with uh, with former Philadelphia Daily News uh, 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 general interest columnist Pete Dexter, who um, you know they had that that incident in the Graves Ferry where um, they got beset by like about twenty guys with baseball bats and tire irons, and you know and uh, and Tex said told told the crowd you know the whole group of guys he says. If anything happens to Pete, all of you are dead, you know. And um, he probably beat up his share, you know, before before uh, they broke his arm and you know cracked his spleen, you know, and whatever. But uh, I, I tell you one thing: if if uh, if I found myself in a really tough situation, Tex is one of the guys I'd like to have have uh, you know with me. Sure, sure. You you also talked about another uh, Philadelphia favorite, uh, Arturo Gotti. Uh, in a very, um, uh, I thought, very good way. Yeah, you know, the thing with, with Arturo, I remember when they brought in uh, Buddy McGirt. And Buddy McGirt was going to mm-hmm. smooth some of his rougher edges and, 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 and get him to box a little bit more and, you know, like uh, maybe prolong his career a bit, you know, uh, so that he wasn't, burning the candle at both ends, like what happens with action fighters. It happened with Matthew Saad Muhammad later on with Ruan Provodnikov. Um, guys that have that, that type of style, they don't last as long as the Bernard Hopkinses and, and uh-huh. you know, the Archie Moores and, you know, whatever, you know. And, and so it was a great idea, you know, and, 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 and Buddy had him in, in camp and he had him working on this and working on that and Cab Moore and, you know, like that. But Arturo Gatti, you know, it was in his nature, you know, that when things got tough, you know, that, you know, the, the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And, you know, one thing that I knew, because I had seen enough of, of Mickey Ward, and, 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 you know, he was a pretty pretty entertaining action fighter in Atlantic City ballrooms when I, when I saw a lot of them. And when that fight was made, I said, you know, what's going to happen is no matter what Buddy McGirt taught Arturo Gatti to do, you know, once once they got in, you know, they got engaging, you know, uh, at, at close quarters, 
you know, the the boxing part was going out the window, and it was going to be a brawl. And it happened. That's what happened. It happened three times in a row, which is why why that that that, that fight three fight series is really celebrated. Maybe not on the level of, of Frazier and Ali, you know, but but uh, whenever people talk about Arturo Gatti, they talk about the three fights with Mickey Ward, but also the two fights with Ivan Robinson, um, yeah. you know, uh, with Wilson Rodriguez. I mean, there's so many of them, you know, that that was. That was his nature, you know. When when push came to shove, he was going to was going to get the banging away, you know. And and you know that's why everybody loved him because he knew they were going to get banged for their buck. You know, if they paid for a ticket, mm-hmm. they were going to come away entertained. Sure. I have a question for Dr. Chris Ambernard, and we'll tell you keeping it with these guys that bang. And I want to take it back to Jake Lamada. Do you think Jake Lamada? How do you guys think Jake Lamada would do nowadays in today's middleweight division? Well, I I did a lot of stuff. You know, I I have done a lot of stuff for the SweetScience.com, who's the website owner is Dana Da Vinci. As you can tell, he is a paisano. You know, he's a Italian, and in, in, in his mind, every Italian or Italian American fighter ever, you know, is is was probably better than some other people thought. And uh, he he even thought Primo Canero was great. Um, but, you know, the, but you know, the thing, the, the the thing is, is that I I think if you were going to look at at Jake Lamada dispassionately. You would say that he was probably an overachiever because you could you couldn't hurt him, you could beat on him all day, and you know, and he would keep coming at. He, his knockout percentage was not tremendously high. After what thirty thirty mm-hmm. knockouts out of eight, what eighty something win. Um, but he was a guy that was always going to come at you and and uh, and basically wear you down, and that's what had you know. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something that kind of would relates to Jake LaMotta and to Arturo Gatti. But Lou Duva one time told me, he said that, you know, when he was talking about Roy Jones, who was obviously tremendously talented, and he was talking about this guy or this other light heavyweight would cause problems for, for Roy Jones. And he said, you know, one guy that Roy Jones would never have fought, and I said, who's that? He said, Matthew Saad Muhammad. Because you know the thing, the thing is, is that Roy Jones was not going to get into the ring with a guy that you could beat on all day and would never quit mm-hmm. coming after you. Mm-hmm. And you know there are guys mm-hmm. like that. Arturo Gatti was like that. Saad Muhammad was like that. Jake Lamotta was like that. You know. And um, I, I think when you get greatness, I mean true greatness in a fighter, talent is a big part of it, but intangibles are a big part of it too. Some fighters have more intangibles than talent. I think Jake Lamotta is one of those guys that had reams of intangibles. He had, you know, he could take a shot. He would, you know, you couldn't discourage him. He'd keep coming forward. And, you know, whatever he lacked in in talent, he made up for with want to and desire and heart. And he had some craft. You know what? He had some craft. Yeah, I'd like to say something about Jake. He he was a, a big middleweight structurally, even though he was short, and he had a very difficult time making 160. And most of the, he was his own manager. He never had a manager. He wouldn't pay a manager. And he fought Detroit all the time. And they threw they threw the killers, the local fighters from Detroit. 
Bob Satterfield, all these big light heavyweights, he fought heavy, he fought everybody. He wasn't afraid to because he had such a good chin. But he, he was better at 165 than he was at 160. So he was a, he was a um, because he wouldn't throw in with the right people, he didn't get a title shot. He was a number one number one contender for like eight years behind Graziano and everybody. And the thing about Jake is he didn't have the advantage of weighing in and then going home and hydrating. He yeah, he didn't do yeah. that. He weighed in. They weighed in the day of the fight, and and it, and he couldn't get a lot of weight. But if he could have come in against Robinson at 165, he would have had a hard time. Robinson would have had a hard time with him because he was so damn strong. But he was a much better fighter at 165 than he was at 160. And he had a difficult, difficult time as he got older making 160. And he ran out of gas against Robinson in the title fight. He did good up to about the 11th round. And he threw it all out in one, one big spurt. He tried to knock him out in the 11th or 12th round. And he, and he didn't have any gas left in the tank. And the poor guy, this Robinson just beat the living hell out of him right after that. But J- Jake, uh, uh, if he was allowed to weigh in like these guys weigh in to, a day and a half early, and he could come in at 170, 168, be tough to beat him. Tough to beat him. Because he could box a little bit. He he gave Bob Bob Murphy a boxing lesson uh, uh, and shut him out in, tw- in 10 rounds. The prior fight to that, uh, he lost almost every round to Murphy. He wasn't really trying. He was fighting in the light. He, Murphy was his fight, first fight as a light heavy. And then uh, he did so bad, the Irish uh, uh, writer wrote the famous line, you know what, uh, the modern Ogata. You know what I'm talking about? He was speaking, speaking, speaking in broken English. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jake got furious at that, you know, because he, 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 he spoke in broken English. I laugh to this day when I, when I read that. I'm trying to think of that, that guy's name. He was an Irishman. A very, very good writer. Dan... Dan was it Dan Parker or Dan Dan something anyway? Uh, as a, so he said, I want another a match with uh, uh, Murphy, and they turned around and was on TV on a Friday night fight. He must have won every round. He outboxed him. He outboxed Murphy, punched him silly, and he came in about 174 that night. But he was brutal at what, in, as a light heavyweight. It's just that you know he. He wasn't tall enough. He's only five seven, five seven and a half tops, and uh, uh, he couldn't make weight anymore. But if he were around today, and these guys, these light heavy, these these middleweights today are coming in at one sixty eight, one seventy two. They're not coming in at one sixty anywhere near it because of that early weigh in. So that would have made a big difference, you know, if he had that advantage. I think he would have been. One of the all-time greats. He was anyway, but I think he really would have been one of the all-time greats had he been able to weigh in, you know, a day a day before and, and get that hydration back. Plus, there were no good MDs around. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. You know, they made everybody eat steak where they should have been eating spaghetti or a high-carbohydrate carb- dinner to get some car- carbs in them. But they all ate steak. They thought they had to eat steak. None of them. They didn't have dietitians. Uh, it's just like Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis, uh, under different conditions, uh, with a with a good trainer, a good dietitian, 
a good a good guy to teach him, uh, uh, you know, flexibility. I think he would have been unbeatable. Uh, so anyway, you know, like I say, I saw last night. I saw about a half hour of him, and he just worked. Uh, he worked uh, Sir Dan over. Sir Dan wasn't strong enough for him. The punches were bouncing off Jake like like water. He didn't. He didn't. It was like he wasn't even getting hit. And so Dan did have a good right hand, but he couldn't do anything with Jake. And Jake tossed him around inside, banging. See, he's a left. Jake was left-handed. He wasn't right-handed. He was left-handed. That's why he had such a good left hook to the body. And he threw a double hook. And that's that's uh, that was his best uh, combination: double hook, right hand. And uh, uh, you know, he he uh, he was strong when he got inside. That's why it was. At, at 172, he would have been, you know, 170. He would he would have been unbeatable as a middleweight had he been allowed to weigh in late. But, hey, uh, Frank. You know what? If you if you covered if you covered boxing, it's an interesting. There's a lot of interesting stories out there. A lot well, of one, interesting stories. One one of the things with Jake, because I know, uh, uh, you know, um, that was in the, the the story that I had about about Jake was that I think one of the things that makes him even more impressive, his career even more impressive in my eyes. He was not Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins was legendarily uh, fit. Um, he would never gain more than, you know, five or six pounds above his fighting weight, you know, between fights. You know, uh, as soon as the fight was over, he'd be in the gym the next day. And um, there, there are a lot of guys that are like that, you know, that they are – they're fitness fanatics, and, you know, they always stay in shape. Then you look at a guy like Roberto Duran or Jake LaMotta. Um, I'm not counting Riddick Bowe because Riddick Bowe was a heavyweight, and, and, you know, he didn't have to make weight. But one of the things that, that uh, when you look at how many fights that Jake LaMotta had, which was certainly a lot more than, than modern fighters, um, he routinely would gain – 30 or 35 pounds between bouts, and then when he signed for an, another fight, and, and remember, he was fighting more often than, than some of these other guys, so the, the fights might have been fairly close together, but when he had time, you know, to sort of, like, enjoy himself and, 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 and eat his way up, you know, to 190 or, two, you know, close to 200, he'd have to lose, he gained 30 pounds and have to lose 30 pounds, you know, and over the course of his career, I think he estimated that he gained, you know, somewhere, but you know, gain and lost somewhere between one and two tons. Um, and, and the same thing with with Roberto Duran. Um, anyone will tell you that that a fighter who goes up and down so dramatically in weight over and over again. You know they're they're not going to have a long career, but look look how long those guys lasted. Um, to me, part of what makes Duran and Lamada as legendary as they were was they were able to do what they did to their bodies, and it didn't really affect them that much on fight night. It's amazing. Hmm. Bernard, you also did a uh, a, a paid homage to uh, some of the, the great. Uh, uh, female fighters like uh, Jackie Tawanda, uh, the first female fighter that uh, um, uh, you know of national acclaim, uh, Layla yeah, Ali, Lady Ali, and uh, and 
and Jackie Frazier uh, uh, light. Uh, can you can you expand on that for us? You know, the, the thing is, um, I, I'm not sure even now how I feel about women's boxing. I, I do think that, you know, that, um, um, you know, if women won the box, you know, if that's what they want to do, you can't prohibit them from doing it because they're female. You know, I mean, that, that um, we, we know that, that, that uh, women, you know, that, that do the same job as men get, you know, get 77 uh, cents on the dollar to what guys do, you know, and I, I believe equal pay for equal work. I don't think God, that makes me a feminist or anything else or, uh, or politically correct. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, but the whole thing with the, the, the Jackie Frazier lied, uh, Layla Lee fight. I had been, uh, at, uh, Turning Stone Casino Hotel to see Layla Lee's pro debut against, um, uh, April Fowler, who was a, a, a waitress at some steakhouse in Michigan City, uh, uh, Indiana, and um, she knocked her out in like 30 seconds, and and he he struck the pose that her father did over Sonny Liston, you know, in, in Lewiston, Maine, and then um, so I called up Jackie Frazier, you know, and 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 um, and you know just asked her for a comment on what she thought about one of Muhammad Ali's daughters. You know, getting into boxing, and then she, you know, Jackie said, "Well, you know, blah blah," and she said, "You know something? Um, if I got in shape, I could kick her ass." And then she said, "Matter of fact, I think I will." <laughs> and then the next day, she started training. You know, and 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 um, she lost like forty pounds, thirty-five, forty pounds, and 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 you know, and and she she went into boxing, and um, so like like a couple two years later. You know, they're fighting at the Turning Stone uh, in the first, I believe it was the first women's pay-per-view bout um, in which it was the main event. And um, uh, Jackie, you know, Jackie was telling everybody there, she says, you know, the reason this fight has happened was because of Bernard Fernandez. He, you know, he asked me, you know, what I thought about Layla, you know, boxing. And you know, so there were a lot of people, when that fight happened, they, they, they were like, 300 people, media people from around the world that came to see, you know, Ali Frazier 4, you know, with the daughters, the celebrity daughters. And not everybody wanted to be there. You know, I had three different people come up to me and said, so you're the one who's responsible for this crap, right? And I said, (laughs) I just asked you a question, you know I mean? It turned out to be actually not not fairly entertaining. It really did. You know, I mean, um, as I put it, it might not have been the thrill in Manila, but neither was it the Groner in Verona. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to come. I, I told you earlier in the week I was going to ask you this question: um, Evander Holyfield versus Mike Tyson, uh, whether it is for for uh, charity or not, is it? One, do you think it will happen? And two, um, what's your thoughts on that fight? Was that aimed at me or? or <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. at you. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting because obviously they were supposed to fight in 1991, and had they fought in 1991, uh, Tyson would have been a prohibitive favorite, and it got. Put, put off for nearly four years because he was, you know, uh, he hurt his hand, and then uh, that, then he went away from prison for over three years. 
Um, mm-hmm. But later on when they did fight, um, won the first fight, you know, by, by really beating Tyson up, and then the, the, the second fight was the bite fight. And so uh, I, I did a story for Ring Magazine where I, I just contacted five or six you know, everybody um, is going to dispute how much of an expert anybody is, but I, I talked to five or six people whose whose opinion I respected and said, had they fought in 1991, what would have happened? And I expected at least a couple of these people to say, well, Tyson would have won. Um, but one of the things that came up was that uh, when they were at the Olympic trials in 1984, I mean, Tyson was there young. He was a, a teenage kid. And Holyfield was there, but everybody was afraid of, of, of the young Tyson. And where, where they were training, you know, they had a, a pool table, and, and you know, if, if you won, you kept playing. And so Vander was, 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 was shooting pool with whomever, and Tyson came over and said, I'm next, or I give me the, you know, I'm, you know. And, uh, and, and Holyfield said, well, you can I'm take this stick and shove it up your, you know, you know where. <laughs> and Tyson backed back down. And, you know, and, and one of the things that Teddy Atlas said, you know, was that, that Tyson was so used to intimidating people, you know, that that um, that um, he didn't know what to do with somebody who he couldn't intimidate. And he said that, that what happened at that pool table basically was, was uh, uh, an indication of what would happen, you know, when they, when they actually did fight. And all six mm. of the people I asked to said that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that had they fought in 1991, very likely the same thing that happened in the two fights they did have uh, would would have happened because Evander was not afraid of Tyson. And I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, people can argue this back and forth as, as long as they want to. Um, but it, it's an opinion that at least deserves some consideration. I know there are people that are going to say if they fought 1991, Tyson would have won, you know, because he was the destroyer then. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, certainly if they fight it, you know, when, when Tyson at 53 and, and Evander at 1950, or excuse me, at 57, um, I don't know what that proves, you know. But people would watch it. I mean, people were ready to buy tickets to see – Larry Holmes fight George Foreman when they were both in their in their late 40s, and uh, you know, and uh, uh, you know, so I don't discount it. You know, with all the stuff with US, uh, UFC and, and, and mixed martial arts, one time I said, how many people who are buying UFC, you know, pay-per-views, what would they pay if there was actually a real fight between Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme? You know, and 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 you know, I think there were a lot of people that would have bought it. I mean, they they, they bought uh, pay-per-view costs for, uh, for Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. I mean, if you can sell that, you can sell almost anything. James Tony and Randy Couture. Yeah, for they didn't even have that level of popularity. So, yeah. Von Dom would have never shown up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, may, maybe so, but the thing is, is that people they they like those Chopsaki uh, movies where uh, what's what's the guy the from 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 England with the you know with shaved head? Um, he was in all the Expendables. 
I, you know, whatever. I mean, the thing the thing is, is that that uh, uh, they like that stuff, you know. And and I, I think that actually, if anybody ever said, "Hey, let's 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 put these two guys together," people would have paid for it. I I, I really believe that. Oh, yeah. Well, Seagal said he would have killed. He would have killed Van Dam. He said he would have killed. He said he's a fake. He, I listened to the interview. He said I'd have, I'd have wiped him up. He said he don't. He's, he's he's not in my league. He said he's strictly for show. He said but I could fight. He said I'd knock the hell out. Seagal, you know how cocky he is. So I, I I just you know I said well if he's that confident about it, maybe he is the better uh, martial arts guy. You know. I just thought of the Orleans. name of a guy who, who I, I couldn't think of his name, Jason Statham. You know, there's another guy that, that you know, and, and and one thing about this is that they these guys never are fighting one guy. You know, they're always fighting like eight guys at one time. But, you know, yeah. the, the, the fight scenes are scripted, so eight guys don't run in all at the same time. They all come in one at a time, you know, and... Uh, you know, it makes it a little bit easier, you know, to 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 buy the action sequences where one guy like beats up eight guys. Well, what, one thing about uh, I, I can't I'm, find I'm, any. I'm sorry, I just, I just called in. Yes. Can, I'm, I'm sorry. Can I just? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, I'm sorry. I just called in. My name is Jesse Rican, bro. I I called into your show a couple times before back in the day. Uh, they put me back in. Um. Man, um, I've been I've been missing this, like um, combat sports since quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys touched on it, but that Ferguson fight was one of my favorite fights of all time. Oh, that was an awesome fight! Uh, it's an awesome performance by Justin Gaethje. Awesome performance by, and I, I'm a big Gaethje fan. Um, and I'm a Gaethje fan because he, he's a he's a come home with my shield or on kind of guy. And to see him kind of refine his his level of violence to to be a little bit more effective. And Tony Ferguson, I mean, he's a boogeyman, and, and he proved it even in a loss. He just, I mean, that guy he just couldn't get it going, but he never stopped coming. So that was a tremendous fight, tremendous fight. Yeah, and I love Justin too. And and the reason why I love Justin all, even a little bit more is just that he was like, "This is for America." <laughs> uh, oh good, good. Well, Bernard, we uh, we appreciate your time tonight. Uh, I know you're always busy, and and uh, we want to thank you again for for coming on. Um, uh, you want to give a plug for your book? Yeah, well, you you did a pretty good job uh, at the beginning, you know. Uh, um, you know, the re- the reason I did it as an anthology was um, I had I had been offered opportunities to to do books earlier, um, but the way I looked at it, um, I was working so many hours for my job for the Philadelphia Daily News that I had at least some time left over for for my wife for my children, and then when my children grew up, for my grandchildren. But Steve Springer, uh, who was the boxing writer for uh, for the Los Angeles Times, when he told me, he said, what we do as newspaper reporters uh, is a lot like uh, people that do really nifty sandcastles at the beach or ice sculptures, you know, for like a wedding or something. Well, he says, 
the ice sculptures melt, the, the, the tide comes in, and the sandcastles get washed away. He said, you know, the, the, the best stories that we write, you know, wind up being lying at the, lying in the bottom of a birdcage or wrapping some fish or getting put out for recyclables. He says, if you have a book, it might be in the library, and 20 years after you're gone, somebody might be checking it out and reading it. He said, you know, that um, it's something a little bit more permanent than, than a newspaper column. And so I thought about that, and uh, I said, you know something, my kids are growing up. Uh, I retired from the uh, Philadelphia Daily News in 2012. I can do this. And I, I started looking at stuff, and I said, you know, God, I wrote thousands of stories, you know, and <laughs> right. there's got to be something in there that's that's interesting. And um, uh, I I was able to put together, I think, a, a nice compendium of, uh, of the stuff that I did, and I had a lot left over. I'm actually, believe it or not, uh, I think in 2021 there will be a championship rounds volume two but um uh, oh, nice. you, you you know the people who have read it um seem to like it and uh you know hopefully uh you know the word will get out and more people want to take a look at it mm-hmm. and you get paid for the same work twice brilliant <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, you're right you know, you know it'll be <laughs> It'll be for sale at the uh, bookstores. They got a section on, oh, yeah. on boxing, a small section, and there's not a lot of lot of uh, uh, lot of writers in there. But uh, I buy every one that comes out. I read it. I must have read every autobiography. Uh, I, I must have 20 books in my library, 25 books of, of going back to Jack Johnson, all the way up to to uh, I guess the last book was. Sugar Ray wrote a beautiful book. Uh, my favorite, my all-time favorite book is uh, "Somebody Up There Likes Me," with the one Graziano quoted. That did you read mm-hmm. that, uh, Bob? That's a ter- tremendous book. Uh, yeah, that no, came I, out I, after. The... I, I have a, I have like bookshelves that are filled with 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 boxing books and everything. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, my book will wind up on somebody's bookshelf. You know. Oh, I'll, buy it. I'll buy it and put it there. Absolutely. I'll buy it. I'm going to read it. Bernard, it's a I'm tremendous way to encapsulate your career as well. Tremendous way. Congratulations. It is. Kudos. Yeah, that's well, great to be here. Thank you for having me on. That's great. I'm, it's, glad, it's, I'm glad you're doing it. And that's that's sensational. I'm going to buy the book. It's, it's, I'll let you know. It's I, very easy I, reading. I know where I can yeah. get it. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, yep. uh, since my wife uh, handles our money, you know, that she'll 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 appreciate it. You know. <laughs> yeah. I got I got a, a book on uh, Harry Grab. I got I got all the old books. Uh, 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 oh, I must have. Uh, I, I, yeah, I there have been some great books over the years written about boxing. Uh, even Jack Dempsey's book was was excellent. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, boy, the guy he fought, uh, uh, the good-looking guy, the Marine, he put a book out. That was another good book. Oh, Gene Tony. Um, yeah. yeah, Jim Tony put a, a nice book out. I got all the. I think they're interesting. The autobiographies, I think they're very interesting. I, I get a kick out of it when Jack Johnson um, said these heavyweights that are around today wouldn't hold a candle to the guys I fought when I was younger. And it seems like every fighter looks back and said, these guys couldn't have handled, there's no way in hell they could have handled the fighters I fought in 
came up against. And I, I had to laugh at Jack Johnson fighting on barges. You know, he got knocked out by Choinsky on a barge, and he said Choinsky was tough. He said these guys today, Choinsky would eat them alive. <laughs> and and every twenty years, a different champion looks back and he says the same damn thing. You know, these guys were tougher. These guys were tough guys. I'm glad you know. I'm glad I didn't have to go go for a title shot when they were at their in their prime. Same with John L. Sullivan. Same damn thing. You know. And you know something, but it's he, not just it's not just boxing because depending upon how old you are and what your era was, I mean there 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 are people now in baseball you know that are they're baseball fans of a certain age. They will tell you that Mickey Mantle is better than Mike Trout uh, Mike Trout is. Um, They'll they'll say that you know that uh, Oscar Robertson was was better than than Magic Johnson. You know, um, everybody, their favorite fighter, baseball player, basketball player, football, whatever it is, is the guy who was the hero of their youth, and that's yeah, their youth, human yeah. nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my father's favorite football player was Bronco Nagurski. You know. And the uh, no matter what no matter what you said, Bronco Nagurski would have trampled all those guys, you know. And yet and yet he wasn't really that big, maybe 218, 220 pounds. That was big for a fullback in those. That was big for a lineman in those days. And then they, you know, and and uh, even even Ike Eisenhower, uh, his his autobiography talked about tackling Jim Thorpe. That's another. Another thing, you know, he was in awe of Jim Thorpe. And uh, he said, boy, you know, played against the greatest of all time. He said, I tackled him and knocked him down. And I thought, hell, this was easy. He said, the next time he caught me head on, he said he ran over me like a bus. He said he trampled me. This is the President of the United States, you know, after being at war and, and all that he went through. He remembered his... Uh, his, his youthful days of playing football. Yeah, and Ike wasn't exactly a small guy. He was a he was a bigger guy. He was a big guy. Yeah. He wasn't small. But uh, yeah, my dad always went back and his he had his favorite fighters and his favorite football players, you know, and and they were arguing uh, the uh, on Skip and Shannon uh, about Jim Brown, who was the best running back of all times. And that that well, was fair. that was that was interesting <laughs> to hear that. And then one guy picked Dickerson, and the other guy picked OJ, and then you know, and and another yeah, another guy picked Barry Sanders, you know. I'm going back. And they were arguing, and and uh, Jim Jim uh, Jim Brown wasn't the uh, uh, choice of everyone, you know. And uh, it's, it's interesting that you know if you go back to that guy's year, they were the best. They were the best. What can you do? Well, guys, we're just we're just about up on our time here. Uh, Bernard, again, thank you very much for uh, for coming on uh, and uh, talking about the, the fight game as as only you could talk about it. And uh, there's nobody that I know would have uh, have as much uh, information on it as you did. Uh, again, the the book, ladies and gentlemen, is champions ra- championship rounds. Uh, and it's available on uh, Amazon, on Walmart.com, and Bar- it's Bar- and BarnesandNoble.com, and in the, the Barn and Noble stores. Uh, it's very reasonably priced. And once you read it, if you're a fight fan, 
you'll love the book. And you you're looking forward to uh championship round two uh as it comes uh, out. How much do so, I owe uh, you for the plug? <laughs> 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 you know, we'll, I I wanna to talk to you about that. We 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 might as well uh, go ahead and plug it every week we get a chance. Uh uh, whenever we get a chance, we'll put it on our website and we'll put it uh, put it out there so everybody knows that it's out there. Um, but again, thanks a lot, Bernard. I always appreciate talking to you. It's, it's always I always learn something when I talk to you. Okay, until the next time. Uh, have a, Have a great weekend right, Bernard, and, take, and a tremendous right. holiday. Thanks, Bernard. Congratulations. All right. Happy Memorial Day right. too, you, for you guys. Thank yeah. you. Same Thank to you. you. All, right, all right, guys. My 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 right. son's getting ready to leave. I'm gonna hang. I'll talk to you guys next okay. week. We'll see you we'll all right. Next all right. Week. See yourself. you guys. All right. Bye now. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bob, thanks a million for everything. You, you did a, a yeoman's job once again. I appreciate uh, all that you do to, to help us out with the MMA and uh, and the UFC. And it uh, it always uh, it helps us. It's expanded our uh, our ratings and expanded our, uh, our listenership. Um, so. Uh, I want you and uh, want you guys to have a great uh, week. Um, please again uh, thank uh, your wife for her service because uh, we really appreciate everything she does. All right, always a pleasure, guys. Uh, always good talking to you. Catch you next week. Thank you very much. Awesome, okay. Bob. Take care. Thanks, Ty, you want to lead us out? Hey, it's been a great show. Always love speaking to the wonderful Bernard Fernandez. And great to hear about his book. Everyone should go check it out. I'm sure it's wonderful. His writing is phenomenal. Uh, Bob is our co-pilot. Coach Mel is watching over us. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week, hopefully. Take care. Z? Oh, yeah, another wonderful show. Uh, I want to thank Bob. I want to thank Bernard Fernandez. I want to thank Dr. Chris. I want to thank all of my Fighting Words family. These shows are definitely in memory of Bob and Coach Mel. And if anyone wants to hear any fighting words, please do call. Okay, thank you. And uh, we want to. Uh, I want to thank uh, Bernard Fernandez. He's a tremendous uh, friend and a tremendous uh, writer. Uh, always brings uh, a lot of good information to the show, uh, anecdotally and as, and uh, stuff that he's written over the years. I want to thank uh, Bob. Does a great job on the MMA. Chris always does the. He's our uh, boxing historian. Um, Ty and Zito have always been there uh, from uh, th- from the beginning, and uh, they really uh, help us out. Uh, they're always well prepared when, the, when we come on the air. Um, these these programs are uh, in memory of uh, my son Bob and, and my best friend uh, Coach Mel. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United Armed Forces, men and women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you have <clears throat> when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please take a moment just to, to say hello, thank you, wink at them, whatever you want to do. But um, these are very tough times for those in uniform, uh, both domestically and in foreign lands. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers. San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrol Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, 
Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy, Mike, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Jermaine, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Philadelphia <coughs> Police Department Sergeant uh, Jimmy O'Connor. Delaware State Trooper Sergeant Rodney Bond. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Clay County Deputy uh, Clay Zerba, uh, Natalie Corona, Delhi County Sheriff's Department, uh, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, and Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord hold you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. God bless and thank you to each and every one of the veterans that are out there. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Oh, yeah. 
dispatched in 1999. All units be advised, 1999's responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul.